In this episode of Full Stack Radio, Jonathan Rennick and I discuss what it's like to build a Laravel application with TurboLinks and how it compares to tools like Ionic when developing for multiple mobile platforms like iOS and Android. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 69. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. Today I am back again with Jonathan Rennick, who you might remember from uh, the previous episode. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about Turbo Links. So while everyone else in the web world is, you know, going towards like the single page apps and building, you know, just server side APIs and doing everything on the client, Jonathan has decided for this app that he's working on that he wants to go down the, the less trodden path of trying to do everything on the server with the magical Basecamp uh, TurboLinks library that has a bit of a interesting reputation in the Rails world, uh, but he's doing it with a Laravel application. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk to him about what he's doing there and how it's working out for him and some of the benefits and trade-offs and just kind of get a, a better idea about what it's like to take that approach uh, to building a web application, uh, especially outside of the Rails world. So welcome back, Jonathan. How's it going, dude? Oh, it's going great, Adam. It's good to be back once again. I'm kind of pumped to talk about this topic. Awesome. So why don't we just start by you just giving us kind of a high-level overview of what TurboLinks is and what it's all about, especially because probably a lot of people that listen to this show have never used it on anything before. Yep, for sure. I'd be happy to. So um, I would probably start by saying like there's this like ongoing joke in the Rails community that whenever you start a new... Um, Rails app, the first thing that you do is you install Rails and delete TurboLinks because by <laughs> default, TurboLinks is actually included with Rails and there's just like ongoing joke that, you know, you remove it. So naturally, me as a primarily a PHP Laravel developer, I'm going to go ahead and actually try to use this. The one thing that, you know, people joke about removing. No. Okay. So, um, TurboLinks is, I would say, it primarily started or it did start as a JavaScript library. And the purpose of this JavaScript library is like primarily a performance sort of tool. And what it does is it tries to make your classic server-side rendered web app feel a little bit more like a standard SPA, a single page app. And the way it does this is with some pretty clever JavaScript um hooks where what it does is whenever you click a link within your web app, uh, TurboLinks will actually intercept that link um, and it'll handle it using JavaScript. And what it does is it makes an Ajax request to the link that you were going to go to and it grabs the content. And then what it does is it actually takes that content, grabs the body of the response, which is just standard HTML because this is a standard server-side rendered web app. Yeah, so like and the body actually, tag, right? You're talking the, about. The, that's right. It grabs the body tag and it actually swaps out the current page body tag with the one that it just got from the Ajax response. And then it also goes through and it adds all any new head elements, um, such as like new JavaScript assets or, or anything that might've been in the head of that page that you just requested that wasn't in, you know, the previous page or like replacing the title tag, that sort of thing. Exactly. All that sort of stuff. 
So when you install it, it actually sort of feels kind of magical at first because you install it and suddenly you click around your app. And if you look, you can actually see uh, in your dev tools, if you look at the requests, you can see that you're not actually doing full page reloads. You're doing these Ajax requests and it's really snappy and it's really fast and it sort of just works. At least initially, you start to learn the more you get into it that there's actually a bunch of little gotchas that come with this approach. Um, so if you're trying to add it to an existing project, it would probably break things. But if you started a new project and the plan was to use Turbolinks, it can work, you know, really, really well. So that's like real quick, like high level what Turbolinks is. So for me, the reason why I started looking at this was because... Well, I would, I would start by saying that I've always been a big fan of like server-side rendered views and routing. Um, it's not that I'm fundamentally against using JavaScript. Of course not. Uh, modern web apps, they need JavaScript. And um, to me, it's, it's more of the architecture of it all. Um, I like my web apps to be mostly server-side rendered templates. And I like the server to handle routing. Uh, and then when needed, I add in JavaScript components. And for me, mostly today, these days, that's using Vue.js. So I've always sort of resisted going full or single page app, like SPA right away. And there's a bunch of reasons for that, but I, I think I would probably summarize it by saying that I think just in general, server-side rendered views and routing tends to just be a little bit simpler. Um, it's simpler to, to get up and running. It's simpler to debug. It's simpler to test. And while I get the argument that SPAs are more performant because we can just return these JSON responses from an API and we don't need to do these full page refreshes, um, I also sort of know from experience that almost never is that performance like the primary, at least in my experience, it's not that performance problem isn't like my primary performance problem in my web apps. Sure. The primary problems that I have generally are uh, my code slow or my database queries are slow, which is generally what it is. So um, I actually don't even really believe that like performance is the main reason why software teams are attracted to SPAs, which uh, sort of gets me back to Turbolinks. Um, I believe people are attracted to SPAs because of the architecture it provides. You can have a full REST API as your backend, and then have a full JavaScript client as your front end. And then if you ever need to introduce a native phone app, you're suddenly in a great position to support them because you already have this nice separation. You already have this API in place. And it all seems like really sensible, right? Yeah. So as you know, and I've mentioned on the last show, I've been working on this redesign of my SaaS product the last uh, few months. And... This time around with this redesign, I'm for the first time considering making an iOS and Android app as well. Uh, today, it's just been a web app, but I'm getting more and more requests from customers that they'd love to see a native app. So I'm like, okay, let's see what this would take to do. And during a redesign, that seemed like a logical time to do it because you know it's my app is currently server-side rendered and there's no API. So I'm like, if I'm going to make some changes, like now would be the time to do this. So I started researching kind of like what were my choices. I could, one, I could go the fully native route and I could just build a native iOS app for, uh, for, for, for um, iPhones and stuff or in tablet or uh, iPad and whatever else. And then I could also build a native Android app for all those devices. And obviously that uh, comes with a, like a huge, 
huge learning curve for me. I'd have to learn Swift. I'd have to learn the whole iOS ecosystem. And I'd have to learn the same on the Android side. And like, I hardly know Android at all. Like, I, I think they use Java. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm I not even Java, Java or Kotlin are what people use there these days. Okay. okay so like, that's going to be like new to me. Um, so more likely would be option number two that I would end up doing. And that would be using a tool like Ionic, which is like Cordova or like the old, you know, phone gap, which I think is, I don't know, it's all sort of merged into one or whatever. I'm not exactly sure, but basically the Ionic approach would allow me to build the app using just classic web tech, like HTML and CSS and JavaScript. And then these tools actually in, you know, some magical way, convert it to um, an actual native app. So, that approach obviously seemed easier, um, you know, given that I'm a web developer. But as uh, as I kind of like looked into this and started like figuring out exactly what it would all take, I realized that in order to do that, I would have to, I would now have to build like a full on REST API, which I didn't really need to do to date using just standard server side rendering and routing. Um, so I, I like I don't start with a full you know, JSON API for my basic web app. Yeah. So that would be something I'd have to add. And not only that, I'd literally have to recreate every single view in my entire web app. I would have to recreate every single one of those views now in the mobile app or, you know, even worse, decide which features to leave out if I didn't want to do them all. So that's sort of like when I decided like, okay, maybe I'm going to have to like throw in the towel and like just go full on SPA because if I go full on SPA and, and, and do it that approach, at least in that situation, I can share and reuse the REST API between both the web app and the phone app. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be like a major time saving. So that makes a lot, you know, makes a lot of sense, which again is why I think that that, that architectural approach makes so much sense to, to a lot of modern web, web teams. But even in that situation, I still couldn't reuse the views between the web app and the phone, but Hey, you know, maybe that's just how it works. And I guess I'm going to have to be okay with that. So before I went off and uh, deleted my routes file and installed uh, NPM install view router, I decided to do uh, one last Google search. Uh, mostly because I had this, this, I remember in the back of my head that I'd read this article from the Basecamp folks a couple years ago about hybrid native apps, um, which I remembered. I'm like, okay, I got to go and see if I can find a little bit more information on that. And that led me to a really interesting conference talk uh, from Rails 2000, RailsConf 2016 by Sam Stevenson, I believe his name is. And it was titled uh, Turbo Links 5, I Can't Believe It's Not Native. And the the video is up on YouTube. And I started watching this video and it started explaining this technology called Turbo Links. And it described Turbo Links, the JavaScript framework, which I had already you know mentioned. But it also described how Basecamp had developed these iOS and Android adapters. And basically what it did is it took your standard uh, server-side rendered web app that's running on TurboLinks and it basically creates these iOS 
um, and Android apps. You can create an iOS and Android app using this, you know, this server-side rendered web app. And the way they do this is they offer iOS and Android adapters, which are basically these, um, for, you know, it's like a library that you would add to a project. And what it does is it gives you a bunch of like the base functionality to get this up and running. So what they've done, and it's really interesting, is what they've done is with the native libraries, they actually tap into the JavaScript library and what it's doing on the web server or on the web app. And it actually taps into those events. Um, and between page loads, it now adds some basically native navigation and some native titling and different things like that to make it feel like pretty much like right off the bat, like much more like a native app, even though the actual content that's being rendered is actually a web view that is the content that's coming back from the actual, your actual web server. And this is like really neat because it's like hybrid in its truest form because you have a real native app, but what you're doing is you're showing most of the content in an actual web view, but you can then like sprinkle on as much native stuff on top of that um, to, to basically improve the overall experience of that app and to make it feel more native. So they basically described how at, at um, Basecamp, I think they have 15-ish uh, web developers on staff. They have two iOS developers and two Android developers. So if you know the Basecamp project, it's massive. And they have basically got like, it's a huge project. It's very popular. They have tons of users and yet they have this extremely small team. Like for me, it's fascinating because the team that I work with, um, I would say like we're, we're dealing like on a way smaller scale and we already have like more than 15 people on our team, um, even for our project. So when I heard that Basecamp was able to do what they've done with so few developers and like, and, and I think they even said they got the whole entire, so the latest version, do you remember what the latest version of Basecamp is? Is it Basecamp 3? Yeah, Basecamp 3 is the newest one. Right, so Basecamp 3, they they started it and they got it out the door, including the, the web app, the iOS app, and the Android app. They did all three of those. I think they said, I want to say like 15 months start to finish, which just blew my mind. So this is like really like the the interesting piece because what basically ends up happening is you can create say an iOS app and you can drop in this TurboLinks adapter and suddenly like your web app is basically been converted into a native app and it sort of just works. And what's cool is you like get immediate like full coverage of your web app. It's not like, well, I'm only going to create this screen and this screen and this screen. It's like, no, right off the bat, every single view on your entire web app is now available in this native app. And if you're using responsive web design on your native app or on your web app anyway, then like already even the views look really good because it's just showing you your mobile size of that screen on your phone. And that just sort of works. And then you can go off and like tweak it and improve it from there. So he, in this talk, he actually goes through the process of getting this all up and running and compiling this. And he builds like this whole like native wrapper app um, in like 10 minutes, like during the talk. And like, I was like, 
wow. It just kind of like blew my mind. I'm like, this is like amazing um, because I can use server-side rendered templates. I can use server-side rendered or server-side routing. I can um, basically not have to go through any of the pain of recreating all the views for the native phones because they'll just use the, the views that I already have in place. I don't have to build a JSON API if I don't want to, which I, you know, in my situation, I really just don't need to. It's just extra time, so I'm not going to. And it all just sort of like works. Now, there there is work to be done still because I think what's really neat is like, and he shows this, you can go through and you can create like what they really believe is like a, a good combination of web rendered stuff plus you would have um, a certain amount of like native uh, navigation. So you, you could use like standard native navigation controls, like the tabs on the bottom of your, say your iPhone app or, or um, the swipe, you know, swiping back and forth, left to right from screen to screen. Uh, they built in like pull down to reload. So if you want to refresh a page, that's all built in. So it's, it's this really cool blend. And that's really like what got me, looking at turbo links and playing around with it. Yeah. So the things that I think are interesting there, um, regarding how something like turbo links compares to something like phone gap or like ionic or another, one of these frameworks that's built on top of that is that I think like when you first hear about this idea of using turbo links on a phone, you have this impression in your head that you're, it's just a web view wrapper and that it's not really an app. You know what I mean? Like that's sort of like the impression that I think people would get. But what I think is interesting is that the Turbolinks approach actually gets you closer to more of the feel of like a React native app or something than Ionic or similar does. Because with something like Ionic, your bottom navigation on iOS or whatever, they're just like trying to recreate that with JavaScript and HTML and make it look and feel as similar as possible. Because for them, the whole thing actually is a web view. Whereas with Turbolinks, it's a native app with native elements with a web view kind of in the middle of it for kind of just the main content, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing I think is cool is like with stuff like the pull down to refresh and stuff, I'm assuming that's probably implemented natively, not using like JavaScript touch events or something like you'd have to do with Ionic. That's correct. Yep, it's done natively. And it shows the like the little wheel to show that it's reloading. So if you're familiar with that UI on say Twitter, it's very similar to that. Yeah. So what I think is magical about it is you get like a closer to native experience than you would with some of these kind of web technology based phone frameworks, you know, like Ionic. So the experience feels closer to native because more of it is native and you actually had to do less phone specific work, right? Because with Ionic, you're not really reusing anything except the API. You're building a whole mobile app just with Angular 2 in JavaScript instead of, you know, with Swift or whatever the native technologies are. Whereas with Turbolinks, you're trying to reuse as much of what your server is already throwing at you as possible and just trying to decorate it a little bit with the native navigation. So a question for you is how how are you doing stuff like making sure the content coming from the server for the phone doesn't contain the stuff that you wouldn't want showing up? So on yeah. like the responsive version that you're looking at on a responsive, you know, in, a, in the browser, 
you still want like the web navigation, right? Like your typical web navigation. But if you're trying to serve that content to your iOS app that's using TurboLinks, you're going to want to rely on the native navigation. So you're going to want to strip some of that stuff out, right? So what does yep. that kind of look like? Yeah, it's it's actually really simple. So the uh, they basically build in a way that you can pass from your native app, you can basically just pass down whatever user agent name you want. So uh, any re web request has a user agent and generally that comes from, you know, it's Chrome or whatever browser you're using. So you just give it whatever user agent you want. And then on, on the actual app web app side of things is you just look at that user agent. So for in, in my situation, I literally, so I'm a Laravel developer. I have a Laravel project going and I literally created like macros for, for the actual request object. So what it does is I literally can say is the request and then it checks is iOS, uh, is Android. And then I have like an is web one and I have an is mobile one. So it's just like a bunch of just simple checks that I can just say really, really quickly, where's this request coming from? And then in my views, it's just a simple, it's just a simple check. I say, okay, if this is coming from uh, the mobile, meaning iOS or Android, well then don't show the header nav at all. Um, and, and sort of like how far you go with that, like the world's your oyster, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. It, it can start off very simple and you can just do a little bit of tweaking. And then, and then if you want to do like extensive tweaking, like maybe you have like some pages that you want the entire view to be completely different uh, uh, from your normal web view for whatever reason. I think that's a bit of a smell if you're doing that, but maybe like it, the point is you could do that and you could just create a separate, you know, view that gets loaded, um, depending on where it's coming from. And then implementation wise, I, that that's just a matter of in your controller checking, like, is the request coming from iOS, then return view mobile.posts.index instead of like web.posts.index or something. Exactly. Yeah, Exactly. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny, like in a way it's like, like another form of like progressive enhancement because you start with this web app and now you're like, okay, I have a web app, but I want to make it available as an iOS or an Android app. So you like progressively enhance this, these pages and you, you say, okay, what we have in place already, all these, is, this is this existing functionality, these existing views, they're all good and they work. But like, how can we now improve them even further to make them better for that particular platform? So yeah. then you just, you just tweak. But the point is that you like, you have something fully functional, like right away, which I think is like the really, really like, you know, when you first tell people about it, it's like, they don't necessarily realize how like big that is because if you've spent months developing a web app and all that stuff's in place, and then now you have to go back and spend months developing all the individual views for the, the actual native apps. Like it's a ton of work. It's yeah. a ton of work. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is CodeShip. So CodeShip is a hosted continuous integration platform in the cloud that lets you ship your apps with confidence. CodeShip comes in two flavors. Uh, the first one is CodeShip Basic, which is a simple testing and deployment platform with pre-installed CI dependencies uh, that works right out of the box. The average setup time for a CodeShip Basic project is about three minutes, often less. Uh, the other flavor is CodeShip Pro. So CodeShip Pro is a fully customized 
customizable continuous integration and delivery platform with native Docker support. It makes it easy to test and deploy your microservices and push to any registry. It's also perfect if you want to deploy with Kubernetes and comes with a convenient local CLI tool that allows you to run your builds locally, helps with encrypting your environment variables, and guarantees 100% parity between your development and production environments. Both CodeShip Basic and CodeShip Pro come with a free plan that grants 100 builds per month, unlimited projects, and unlimited users. And open source projects are always free on CodeShip. So you can visit CodeShip.com today or check out CodeShip.com slash features to find out which CodeShip product is the best fit for you. Thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. Back to the show. So I guess um, the thing that I think is interesting about it too is from like a mental model perspective, the really fundamental difference with this approach versus an Ionic approach or a React Native approach or even just straight up building a native app approach is that your your web app is sort of becomes the source of truth for all platforms, right? Like, like if you exactly. want to write a new view for Android, you do it in the web app. You don't do it in the Android app. Same with like iOS. So you have like one sort of central um, kind of monolith where everything kind of comp- like is they ask for the stuff that they want. So the iOS says, give me the iOS view, but the iOS thing doesn't contain its own view and render based on data. Everything is in the server. So you have this ability to sort of try and centralize as much stuff as possible and not sort of split up knowledge into a bunch of different places. So if you're working on a new screen for a new feature, it's easy to be like, okay, well, I'm going to work on the iOS specific tweaks, the Android specific tweaks, the responsive and the basic web stuff. And you're doing that all in one project and one developer can do that all in the same place. Instead of having to coordinate with like iOS team, it's like, hey, we're adding this new feature. It's going to be exposed to the API in this way. They might not get around to implementing it for two months. So now like your mobile app is missing a feature that was added to the web app because it has to be implemented on a separate schedule, you know? Uh, so it's really interesting, like uh, how that kind of mental shift of treating the web app as like the source of truth for everything can kind of give you some of these interesting advantages and workflow, you know, differences between yep. having multiple teams working on different stuff. I was actually just looking at um, an article from Basecamp that was posted at the beginning of last year. And uh, it looks like in February, and I know they've hired at least one developer since then. So I think they have a total of 13 programmers total on the whole team. And that's not 13 web developers. That's 13 people between iOS, Android, and web. Um, wow. Which is pretty yeah. pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So getting back to your, your your comment there about kind of like, the web app being the central like source of truth. I think when people hear that, they're like, yeah, but my, but my, my rest API is my central source of truth. And, and while I, while I understand that comment, I think what people don't necessarily take into consideration is so like two things. So one right now work, we have an in or uh, an Ionic app. And what we're constantly running into is um, versioning problems between our Ionic app and the actual web app because we're being asked, we're moving really quick and we're being asked to add new features and change things. We're kind of figuring out this product as we build it a little bit. And that's made it like a nightmare on the Ionic side because developers go in and they make changes and they add new controllers or remove controllers or change endpoints or all these different things. And it's breaking things constantly on the, on the, Ionic, the Ionic side. 
Um, and, and that's been like really tricky. So then you got to like, you got to figure out like, okay, well now you like, we literally yesterday had the discussion like, okay, should we version our, our, our internal API, which is like when you're having that discussion, like you're in kind of a bit of a dark place because like that, there's like so much complexity around versioning and like having to manage all those versions of your API over time. And it kind of, kind of got me thinking even more about this stuff. Um, and kind of like that problem, which I think is like a real problem that exists. Um, and I think the, I think the other thing to consider is that like, as I've been building this, this new, like doing the redesign on my, on my SaaS product is like more and more, like I'm realizing the actual, at least for like, I'm going to say, even though I kind of hate the term, I'm going to say for like a lot of standard CRUD apps, I think the actual server side code nowadays has become remarkably, you know, simple, you know, depending on what you're doing, there are more complexity, even know, payment processing, there's, there's more complex pieces, but like, I actually find, and maybe it's just my, you know, my weakness as a developer on the front end, but like, I actually feel like there's like more and more challenges really on the front end than there are on the back end. Like the complexity is on the front end. So with this approach, with the turbo links approach, like you solve that complexity on the front end. And now it's shared like in the same way that like that rest API would be shared, but now it's not just the rest API. It's not just that server side logic that's shared between the web app and the native apps. It's like, it's everything, like all Mm. those complex pieces. And like that I think is huge. Yeah. That's interesting. So like an example that I can think of is with the kite tail, I have this pretty complex discount UI that we need to build soon. And the thought of having to, re-implement how all that client-side logic would need to work independently on different platforms is kind of a bummer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause yeah. yeah, the REST API gives me all the data, but the REST API can't manage the interactions on the client between, you know, okay, well, when I change this field here, it should update these three other places uh, and calculate these new values. And so, you know, being able to just do that once and get that benefit everywhere and being able to sort of massage how it looks to feel as native as possible on each platform seems like a big win. I know like the reason that uh, David and co at Basecamp really love TurboLinks and, and the what they talk about is that it's really optimized for small teams, right? Like the whole purpose of it at least how they're starting to understand, you know, why they like it so much is that uh, they're a small team trying to do big things. And if you're a team of 50 developers that has, that can justify like a full iOS team, a full Android team and all this stuff, well, maybe this approach isn't optimal anymore because maybe, uh, maybe the teams aren't decoupled enough then you know what i mean maybe they can't act with enough autonomy right but on a team of 13 people building up the whole product it makes a ton of sense for them to be able to like reuse as much stuff as possible and keep stuff in the same place because the team sizes you know there's not there's not enough people to have a bunch of separate teams with enough people to even justify them having any sense of autonomy right like they're one team really not a bunch of separate spread out teams so you don't want to have one team of people having to work on seven essentially different projects you know what i mean it's the same it's the same argument towards like a monolith versus microservices approach if you're a company like 
Amazon or something that's got hundreds and hundreds of engineers, well, then, of course, it makes sense to try and introduce as many boundaries as possible. Um, so you don't have people stomping on each other and stuff like that. You want to have these like well-defined sort of communication paths between the teams and have them all working independently on different things. But you really only want to have one team working on one thing. I think as soon as you have one team that has to work on multiple things, um, things are, are going to break down. So if you only have one team trying to come up with like an architecture or a, a workflow for developing for multiple platforms, it seems like the goal would be to try and somehow support those with a single project. So it's just one team on one project as much as you can possibly do, you know? I 100% agree. Like, I think that people underestimate how much the size of your team should actually influence how you architect your app. So mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. And I think, I think what happens is people like they look at new tech and they see the way that, you know, Google has spread out all their, their things and all these microservices. And they're like, Oh, well, if Google's doing that and if Amazon's doing that, well then obviously we need to be doing that as well. But it's like, no, like that's not the case. It's like, you're actually like every one of those new isolated components, it, it, it comes with pain. There's all sorts of pain that comes with every like new microservice that you have. Like it's like another area of like possible failure. And I think that depending on your team size, like if you're a larger team, then it might make sense because the risks or the benefits outweigh the risks that come with that new separate piece. Yeah. But I think on a smaller team to keep it more, you know, things tightly together um, generally works out better. Okay. So another sort of whole area that I think is interesting to get into is what is sort of the story with Turbolinks and then other JavaScript stuff? Like, I think a, a lot of people might be thinking, okay, if I'm using Turbolinks for my JS on the front end, um, can I still use Vue? Can I still use React? Can I still use Angular or whatever? Like, is there a conflict there or are they kind of, uh, you know, do they work together? Uh, so what what's the story there? Like, how are you doing stuff and what do you have to keep in mind or what have you learned there? Yeah. So that's definitely probably been the most painful part for me. Um, so I would start off by saying like, if you're doing, if you're doing client side, client side routing already, well then that, you know, Turbolinks is probably a, a, not the solution. It's not an you. option anymore really, right? No, I, I don't think so. Like maybe it even is like, maybe you could figure out a way to get it working, but that sounds like, yeah, it sounds like too big of a conflict. But if like, assuming you're doing like standard, so in my particular app, it's just, standard server-side routing and web views. But like a lot of my web views actually delegate to different JavaScript components that I write in Vue. Um, so I actually use, like I actually use JavaScript a ton, especially with forms. Like, you know, we've talked about this before. It's like the, the point where you're working on a web form, the point where you can go from like server-side form submissions or the point that you go from server-side form submissions to the point that you actually need to use like a JavaScript component and handle it using JavaScript and, and submitting with Ajax. Like that barrier is like so small. Like I just want like so quickly I need, you know, some interaction that just can't be provided by standard HTML and, and standard form submission. So I have a lot of um, view components. So the, the trick or the issue, I should say, that I ran into with view was that my view components, whenever a page gets reloaded, view like gets re, you know, set up for a lack of better term. And what happens with um, TurboLink, so it happens at the point that that file gets, uh, the actual JavaScript file gets loaded, right? 
So what happens with turbo links is anytime like you're moving forward in the app, it's fine. You go to a new page and a new component gets loaded in and you, you, it runs and then it works. The issue is that like you're not actually, you know, reloading the browser. You, you know, so if you go back and then go forward again in your history, um, you're doing an Ajax request back and actually TurboLinks is showing a cache version. And then if you go forward again, you're getting the cache version again. Um, and what you'll have is that you'll, you'll lose like you know, the, the view will just not be there Work anymore. Properly. Like that, com- yeah, the components just dead. Like it's not there. So, um, and that's just, it's really like, it sounds like a big problem, but it's actually not that big of a problem. The, the, the issue just really is, um, that it's not reloading it. Um, because it's expecting, you know, the, the default or the way it's supposed to work is that you have this first page load that kind of kicks it off. So all you do is there's a little view turbo links, um, library that, um, a couple guys have put together, which works really nice. And all it does is it listens for some turbo links events and basically like reinitializes view between page loads. And uh, I've been, I've been using that and actually they just, uh, pushed out an update yesterday that I installed and it's, it's pretty much working flawlessly for me now. So that's awesome. like one. Yeah. So that's one thing. Like I can only speak to view at this point, but I think you'd probably run into similar things. If you're, you say use an angular or another JavaScript, uh, um, um, component or tool. The other thing you got to keep in mind is that you'll, you know, you actually want to move all your scripts that you would normally say, put in the bottom of your page. Um, to actually go in the head of your page, which is like a bit of like a shift in thinking. But the reason why you need to do that is because as previously mentioned, like your body gets reloaded every single time by these Ajax requests. Um, and you don't want to have to constantly be reloading those uh, JavaScript assets every single time. So by putting them in the head, you actually get the benefits of not having to reload those, those assets every single time. However, um, you'll find that if you do that, you'll, you'll, on your first page load, uh, it'll try to run, say, view in my situation, and it'll be looking for the, the view app tag, which you define, um, and it, it, it doesn't work because it's in the head and not in the footer. Yeah. So you remember back in the uh, jQuery days, back in the, you know, when you would use jQuery, I think it was like ready or Basically, something. That, that was the, the document ready event listener. Exactly. That's right. So, um, the simple nowadays, it's a lot simpler even than that. All you need to do is on your script tag where you import all your, uh, your JavaScript stuff, you can just put uh, defer, uh, and defer is like this new HTML thing that's, uh, supported, I think pretty much on all main browser, you know, modern browsers. Uh, so you can pretty much use it, uh, and defer basically just says, don't load this stuff until the HTML has loaded. Yeah. Um, that's cool. And then, yeah, so that works perfect actually. So do you have to do stuff like listen for turbo links events uh before loading stuff ever like i feel like i've seen like turbo links load and that's where you would initialize view yeah that's how that like that yeah that view component that i mentioned that's basically how they recommend it so it's uh it's a listener uh that looks for turbo links load i forget exactly what it is and then it kicks in view so that but in my app like i have a single view component and then or a single view instance that i add components to so for me, it's really simple. I just basically do that in one place and I'm good to go. Nice. I would say the other thing, yeah, the other thing that I ran into was with form submissions. So form submissions, I would say, is probably the trickiest piece of this all. Um, and form submissions are tricky because you can do, so I, I believe with Turbolinks 5, which is the newest version, it it doesn't intercept 
form submissions. So if you submit a form, it won't like grab that form submission, do an AJAX request and then, you know, do a standard like Turbolink style page reload. It'll just kind of let the server do its normal thing. Exactly. It'll all work. So if you're doing, if you're doing just the web app side of things, that'll work without any issue. But for me, I want to do like the whole purpose of all this for me was to get the iOS and Android app working. And the problem there is because on the native apps, so for iOS, for example, is like when you submit a form like um, that, like does a full page reload and like what it ends up doing is it messes with the history that you have in your app. So um, because like I mentioned, it, it keeps track of this like nice navigation where you can like go back um, in the navigation, kind of like using standard iOS um, controls. Yeah, so you'd have like um, your, your iOS kind of header where normally in the top left, you might have like a back button, which might yeah. say back or it might be labeled based on like what the, the n- previous name page was. of the previous page was. Or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So the the challenge with these standard forms, like doing a standard form submission, is that like that stuff kind of gets a little bit wonky on the iOS side. So I was reading an issue about this on the TurboLink's iOS on the uh, TurboLink's iOS GitHub page, and basically the uh, TurboLink's authors said, yeah, like we could probably figure out a way to do this, like just like built in. But what they found is like way easier is to just don't do standard form submissions. Just submit your forms using Ajax, which as I already mentioned, like I do more and more anyway. And then when you get the response back, the successful response, you can just call this turbolinks.visit link to go wherever you'd, if you wanted to like reload to, to another page and doing that, like it's a really simple way of doing this and doing that. Everything just works out fine. So they're like, because that's so easy to do, they didn't really feel like it was worth adding the complexity of trying to get those yeah. form submissions to work kind of like out of the box. So you get to keep like a more, maintain like a more clean navigation history because you're making sure that navigation only ever happens through turbo links and not yep. a combination of turbo links, visiting pages and full refreshes happening and yeah. uh, stuff like that, especially on the iOS stuff. I could see how that could get hairy because I know they try to do some fancy things with uh, reusing web view instances and stuff to make sure that things are fast and performant. Yep. Um, so yep. there's probably all sorts of interesting things to worry about there. So if you're making a post request via Ajax, that would typically result in a redirect. Do you have to do anything different on the server in terms of what you return so that you can, um, visit that link now like instead of returning a 301 or 302 redirect response are you returning like a 200 with something in there that tells you hey this is the url that you should now visit with turbo links or do you yeah, not have to worry yeah. about that or yeah so um so there's uh yeah so let me just think how this all goes so for the most part with my form submissions what i'll do in most cases with the form submissions is I'll just do the form submission to an endpoint. And I almost treat that endpoint like it's like an API endpoint. So like there's like, I almost remove like pretty much all server-side redirects that happen. And that's not entirely true, but almost entirely, there's no server-side redirects anymore at all. Um, So when I return, say from a standard post, you know, to an endpoint, I wouldn't return a redirect. I would just return a 200 with, you know, maybe some content, if I'm updating some content, whatever you would normally do in like an API, right? Um, you do run into situations where you do want 
uh, redirect, an actual redirect, uh, for instance, on a login or something. And in those situations, um, you can actually pass a header back to TurboLinks that says, well, this is the actual page that we're going to be going to eventually, and it'll update the URL properly uh, for you. So there is even a way if you want to do standard form, like if you want to do a standard server-side redirect, they've even thought of that and have like a solution in place for that. Got it. So you just make sure that you submit it with Ajax though, and just return a header that only TurboLinks looks for and then does the redirect stuff for you. Yeah. Generally... I don't do like that. So generally, if I'm doing an Ajax request myself, I'm going to handle the redirect myself and just know where I want to go. Yeah. So it's you just more have for that. Situ- do you have that redirect yeah. kind of baked into the client side then? So it's not like you're actually inspecting the response and seeing, oh, where am I supposed to redirect? You have it no. in the JavaScript components. Like, I know that if this request succeeds, this is a page we should be going to. So you just have that baked yeah. into the JavaScript component. Got yeah. It. And like so often, like that's like, so that you would use that redirect functionality if you're like if you're like creating a new user. Well, you'd have a, an Ajax form where you create a new user, you send it down to the server, it creates it, and maybe you get an ID back, and then you'd get that user ID and you do TurboLinks dot uh, uh, visit, and then you know whatever that URL sure. is. And you I just might even I'm, the URL on the client. M- maybe I might even pass it back if that's like because a lot of times I like to do like my my route generation client side because that works just really nicely with how routing and Laravel works so that I don't have like these hard, like these baked in URLs um, into the client side because I've found that that's gotten me into hot water at times. So I will often return a URL in those situations, but I'll actually return it as just part of the JSON response that would come from that endpoint. So it's not a 302 redirect with some header saying this is a new location. It's a 200 JSON response that might say like, redirect underscore url and that is some url that you generated on the server using laravel's route helpers or whatever else you needed to to do to kind of keep that simple cool yeah and and what i found is a lot of my forms so a a create form obviously you're going to want to redirect somewhere but a lot of the forms you don't redirect anywhere you just show a success like a lot of forms are update forms at least i found in my app a lot of them are update forms so you're not redirecting anywhere when you're done you're just saving it and then showing some sort of success message yeah cool Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the the tour and looked at at Rollbar and all of its competitors. And it was was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is is really... uh, It's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language. Because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. We want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't we'd be dealing with it so i've been using rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app nitpick ci and loving it uh, if you want to check it out you can head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days so check that out and uh, thanks again to rollbar for sponsoring full stack radio so what's the story for um other 
like native features that you might want to use like yeah uh, yeah like notifications or using the yep. gps or you know yep. whatever other yep. cool gadgets are built into the iphone yeah so the again the important thing to remember is you're ultimately dealing with a native app here so this has actually been one of the bit of the trickier pieces that we've been like looking at this as opposed to ionic or me basically trying to convince my team that this is maybe a viable option is that we have with ionic they have a ton of push notification stuff built right into the platform um, so if we went this direction, you basically have to implement those push notifications yourself. Like you, you ultimately have a native app and you can implement any feature you want. Um, it's just, uh, sometimes when you're dealing with a tool like Ionic, they can simplify that process a little bit, but you, you, you have a native app and if, and if you can implement, uh, notifications, you're like, that's the tricky piece. You got to be able to know how to do that. Yeah. Uh, you got to be able to know how to implement that feature using native, you know, native uh, Swift and or whatever Java if you're using Android, right? So that's kind of one of the trickier pieces of it. I, th- I think um, I kind of appreciate that though because it feels like it's like it's not trying to like make any false promises or or pretend that you don't have to understand the platform that you're building for. You know what I mean? And they give you 100%. that sort of complete absolute control they're not saying like here's like your sandbox and you can use the apis that we've written javascript functions for that connect to swift and you don't have to know any swift to be able to do this because i feel like i i feel like that gets you into hot water sometimes in in terms of just like it, it, it to me it's almost like only using git through like a gui interface uh yeah you're fine 95 percent of the time but then like you want to be able to do something that uh, or fix a problem or something. And now because you don't know the underlying technology, it's like, oh, crap. Like I my yeah. sense of confidence here was it was pretty false. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. wasn't justified. So in, in this situation, it's almost like they're saying, like, we're giving you this like iOS library for your iOS app to make it easier to talk to your Turbo Links based web app. But we're not giving you like a framework for building phone applications. We're giving you a library for building a regular iOS application that just makes it easier to talk to a Turbolinks web app. It's still a that's ex- plain that's old exactly iOS it. app. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I actually see it as an advantage too. But like, if you, if you're talking about it as your team, you have to kind of weigh that that piece, right? And and it's funny because when I think about the notification stuff, we're actually running into a situation right now with our Ionic app because Ionic's making some changes to how they do. Like, they have like some built-in auth stuff with Ionic, and that auth stuff keeps track of users, which keeps track of the user's phone, so that when you do the push notifications, it knows kind of like which which user to send that notification to. Like, they have kind of their whole own system. For for this and I don't know a ton about it because I'm not on that part of the team but like what I'm understanding is we got an email this past week saying that they're removing the auth piece of it so we're now being forced to like change how we implement our notifications for our Ionic, our Ionic app because they're making these changes mm-hmm. um, like you run into problems there too right so I, yeah like to me like this really kind of like you, you, you described it perfectly. They're giving you, you're building in a native app still. They're giving you a framework to do it way quicker and way more easily. But then like you can still break out and do things natively if you want. Um, like one of the examples, like they have this demo app that they give you if you go to their uh, GitHub page. And it's really neat because what the way it actually works is the actual um, iOS uh, uh, Turbolinks adapter 
has like almost like a routing component to it. So what happens was when it catches a URL that you clicked on in the app, like it goes into this like handler in iOS um, and you can basically decide what you want to do from there. So the default action would obviously be just proceed to the page that you clicked on. However, in their example, they show how you can be like, no, you can check. Well, if this URL equals whatever you want it to, you know, match. Um, so in their example, it's like slash numbers. Um, we'll actually load this native iOS controller instead. So it's like ridiculously simple to say, take certain pages in your app and actually load fully native uh, controllers and views if that made sense for your app. Mm. So it's like hybrid, like to me, it's like hybrid in like a more real sense than say Ionic. So Ionic is like hybrid in that you're building like HTML, CSS, JavaScript stuff. And then it's good, like being put inside a, a native app. Whereas like, this is like hybrid in the sense that, yeah, you're, you get the same idea. You're loading a web view, but now you have like, you can totally break out of that web view and use all the native features that you want as it makes sense for your app. And I think for a lot of people, like kind of like the beef, the default, like ready to go sort of like app will be good enough for most people to start. And then you can sort of like improve on that native app over time as you become more comfortable with say iOS and Swift yeah. and stuff. Really cool, man. So, uh, what, resources would you recommend to someone who thought this whole conversation was interesting and wanted to give it a spin on maybe a project that they're working on? Yeah, I would say like absolutely 100% start by watching Sam's talk from RailsConf uh, last year. I think he does a really good job, you know, and it's not even that long of a talk, so maybe 35 minutes to kind of outline what this all looks like. Um, then go to the TurboLinks GitHub page. They've actually set up like a TurboLinks uh, GitHub organization where they now have like a repo for the JS library. They have a, a repo for the iOS uh, adapter and the Android adapter. And uh, so go there and the, um, they, they, they have these demo projects that you can kind of like open. And basically what I do is I open the demo project that they provide. I go in there and I change the URL to my like local development URL for my app. And then I, I hit run and basically it, it just, it works. Um, so that's how I, I tested that kind of the start took me like less than an hour to get it actually working on my own computer. Yep. The, like I said, the, the, the bigger challenges when I got started with it, it was more kind of like figuring out turbo links itself on the, on the website. And then, so do that if you want to kind of get, you know, your toes, uh, uh, feet wet a bit. And then I would say if you are a user of the view library or yeah, view JS, uh, be sure to check out that view turbo links compatibility library that I mentioned, cause it'll save you a bunch of pain as well. But cool. yeah, those, that's kind of the places I'd recommend. Cool, man. Well, uh, we'll have to chat about this again in a few months and find out, uh, how it actually played <laughs> out. And if this is really a honeymoon phase or, or if really this is a revelation on, you know, the, the ultimate way to, for a single person to, uh, you know, build a suite of, of apps for, uh, you know, their project. So it'll, it'll be cool to, you know, keep up with how this is working out for you and how things are going. Yeah, for sure. That is, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you yesterday, it's like, I almost wish I was six months down the line to, to speak more like, you know, and get it into production and say, did this actually work out? But maybe it's actually for the best because like I'm coming in new and I can speak to like a bunch of the pains that I felt kind of as a newbie with it as well. So I'll keep you updated. Sounds good. All right. Uh, if anybody is interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 69. 
Thanks to CodeShip and Rollbar for sponsoring this week's episode, and I'll see you next time.